Are you ready to live the life you were meant to live? Is it time to step up and strive to reach your fullest potential? Will you dare to take the bold steps to drive your business and your life to the next level? Then you're ready to live in abundance, passion, and joy. You are ready to be a maverick. Join Paul Fink, the Maverick Millionaire, and the Mavericks Do It Different podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Paul Fink, and this is Mavericks Do It Different podcast. So excited for today's event because this will continue with the process of understanding how we think different, be different, do it different to create different results all around the world, not just for ourselves, for our family, our community, our society, and the whole world. And so absolutely join us in conversation here. Go ahead and share this, like this, follow us, subscribe, and be a part of this community because we continually get the word out as to how to live life to its fullest and create the most abundance in your world for all of us concerned. Today, I've got a special guest with us, and the special guest, he is a former professional magician, passionate about helping others, and really understanding how people think and how to move people, which is real important. And uh, we'll talk about how. He started a small program on self-hypnosis that drove him to start learning digital marketing all the way back in 2008. In 2014, he started his own agency, and he's been blessed to meet just amazing people like all of you, and worked with some of the top people in the industry to partner up with them and create the work of of being uh, the marketer of option of choice, and we'll talk about some of that. He owns five different businesses, continues to grow, spends most of his time in the coaching business where he helps agency owners build and grow their agencies, mainly through SEO, through webinars, through understanding online and understanding what's going on in our world in this case. Please welcome, welcome Josh Beecraft. Josh, and let's get you up on screen here. Just a pleasure. You're amazing. We've had an option and, and choices to work together multiple times that we've done and in so many different ways. Such a pleasure to have you up here on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words and introduction. Uh, it's awesome to be here. Always enjoy an, a, another place where I can serve in some way and, and try to bring some value that uh, actually has you know some meaningful impact somewhere. So uh, excited to be here to do that. I want to talk to you a, a couple things, and then we'll get into some of the heart. Uh, absolutely, everyone, the chat's open. Absolutely engage with us. Say hi. Ask your questions as we go through this. Engage with us. We are here to engage with you. Uh, you started off as a professional magician and then also studied hypnosis. Uh, explain some of that early process. Uh, well, so to, to kind of do that, I have to go back a little bit because I didn't start as a professional magician. That just kind of where this lifetime started. Um, if I go back far enough, it all started when one rock collided into another. But we'll fast forward from that moment. Right. And <laughs> so uh, I was actually a shy, weird kid in high school. Uh, I didn't really understand social dynamics. Um, you could probably argue in some ways I still don't sometimes. but. Um, what kind of happened was I had a series of events transpire that led me to becoming very interested in magic. And um, it, it wasn't so I could perform it. It was really because I wanted to understand how it could work. Like, how does this thing that is seemingly amazing and impossible happen right in front of somebody's eyes without them knowing it? And it, there's no way to figure it out, right? It, it completely blew me away. Uh, and what happened was is... I was over there in the corner figuring things out and practicing. And this, this happened over a number of years. So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, condensing things a lot, but I'd be, uh, you know, at times playing with something, trying to understand it. And somebody would be like, do a trick. And I would be like, no, because I don't like to talk to people. Right. So, 
uh, I would refuse to do a trick and then they'd finally go, but come on and do it. And, um, back then I was much younger and, um, I decided to make a game out of it and see how long it would take me to get people to smoke a cigarette. Cause I was working in a car audio shop at the time and people were smoking cigarettes a lot. So if I could stress them out enough with magic to get them to smoke, I knew I won and I learned more about how this thing worked. Right. Um, I'm hopefully more mature than that now, but, uh, you know, catch me on the right day. Maybe not. Um, it's so yeah, th that's kind of the origin of, of where it became a thing. People just started asking me to do it at parties and they started wanting to pay me for it. And poof, I was a professional magician. That's so cool. You know, and, and it's so interesting. Your response to magic is the same concepts and the background that I have with psychology and sales is that the I got intrigued by understanding, well, wait a second, this, I say this phrase and people do X. Mm -hmm. And at, how did, why, how, what, what, how does that transpire? And my early years, that was my deep dive and just being fascinated by being a, a wordsmith and understanding how to craft the, the vocabulary and the and the body language and everything to create that movement and very similar to what you've done with magic and then we both land in the same place of oh now we influence and persuade people all around the world what does that look like so you you did that jump you did that leap into online and definitely a, a master of the of the online presence um Explain a little bit about that transition and what you do now. Yeah, so I I I, I was doing magic professionally, and I had um, uh, a situation arise in that um, uh, I got married, and my uh, now ex-wife uh, was a hypnotherapist, and I had just started studying more sales and marketing, personal development, which often leads into sales and marketing and stuff like that. Um, and, and I went, well, if we're going to do this, like, let me apply the the stuff. And right, like, this is, this is right after this, right around the time the secret came out and I'm learning about all these new authors and they all run businesses. And of course I'm digging into all their stuff. And, um, so I started applying some of the principles, uh, to, to that for selling that program and we would run, you know, similar to your business, actually, we'd run a small live event. And, um, you know, then we would offer people an opportunity to join us in the program, and then we take them on a journey, right? Nice. Um, so it was a, a really cool kind of um, thing to be a part of. But uh, like, like many things in life, relationships are not meant to last. Uh, so I started learning all this marketing stuff. And as as time went on, and uh, that relationship uh, sort of dissolved. Uh, I went back to the corporate world for a little bit and quit being a magician and everything. And I finally had a, said like, enough's enough. I know what I'm doing out here. I'm just going to break away. And I quit a corporate job that paid uh, pretty well. I mean, it wasn't like super high paying, but paid well enough that like you don't just leave and walk away. I walked away with no plan and started knocking on doors and I haven't looked back since. God bless. Yeah, you're, you're talking my language now. It's that there's so much opportunity now and more than ever every single day. And people are beginning to recognize that. We have more people now rolling into entrepreneurship, deciding they want to be a part of it. The, the challenge is that there's more to it than meets the eye <laughs> oftentimes. And so people are like, oh, it looks so easy from the outside. And then they get into the midst and that's where people lean into you with what you do. Um, how do people, you know, so here we are, uh, tons of people want to become entrepreneurs. They're starting their own businesses. They want to get recognized. They want to get known. How, how do you get in the, in the sea of information these days and in the, in the internet itself and how much information there is, how do we get noticed? How, how do we get paid attention to? Yeah. So it, it's really an interesting sort of thing because there, there's two schools of thought on this. And, and one of them is really the right answer. Uh, but a blend of both of them is probably uh, what happens the most. Uh, first things first, you have to start where you are. 
right? Like there is no just like wake up and I'm an entrepreneur and poof, I have a business and people should be talking about me and buying my stuff. That that's that's literally how it works the least, right? Um, that that maybe you hear about those stories sometimes, but you kind of intuitively know where to start, and it's easy to get lost in these these objects and. Uh, the, these mechanisms and these things like, what do I do on social media? What do I do for SEO? What do, it, do I need to be on YouTube? Like right. what's the best channel for me to focus on? And really it, it's, it's less about that stuff and it's more about who you are. So the, the two, the two sort of methods is one, uh, you have to be good. Like that's really the, the core of it. Like nobody wants to buy anything that's not good. Right. So how do you decide if yep. you're good? So do you have to be good or your product has to be good? Well, yeah, yeah. Essentially, you or any extension of you being your product uh, or, or service, right? Um, it, it's got to be good enough to actually move the needle for people in the way that it's supposed to. I don't care if it's a candle or if it's a, a million-dollar program on how to make $2 million, right? It's got to work. Right. And uh, there, there's some nuance to that sometimes because there's mechanics that don't make it just happen overnight and there's processes and whatnot. But you got to have something good to start with. Um, how do you know if you have something good? You you have to get people involved and see how it works, right? Get their feedback. The, 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 the one big thing that I think people miss when they start their business is they try to value themselves and they're not the one buying their products or services. It, so it's really, it, the value of it isn't up to you, right? Like it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the people buying it think. And then sort of the second method here is once you're good, which is most important, uh, I, I say method, sort of the second category is you can play the game with all the tricks. And, and I don't mean disingenuous tricks, but I mean like, here's how we get more engagement on social media. Here's how we, here's how we, here's how we. But the, the, the real truth here is, is if you're good, you will get carried by your customers. Uh, and that's that's something that's lost the most. Like word of mouth is still the best form of marketing, yeah. hands down. It it collapses the sales cycle. It's uh, uh, it, it it builds more confidence. It blows right past no like and trust filters. Uh, online marketing is some of the hardest because it's the hardest place to get attention. Like you know, right now what we're doing is valuable and it's awesome, but it's it's only going to reach this small chunk of of people that are in this corner of the internet. And the best we can do is just hope to help those people one, two, three, 10, 20 people at a time, 100 people at a time, 1,000 people at a time, grow, 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 grow. And that's the thing that I think people aren't ready for, right? Is like, what's the, how do you grow from that gap of, of two people in your audience to 2,000 to 2 million or whatever it is? Right. That process is a process. It's not, a, it's not an event. Right. Some people think it's an event oh, if I just go viral or if, uh, you know, I just figure this one thing out. You know, the, the biggest challenge that I've seen in the marketplace is that is that the only most people that when they step into this, they all they hear is the overnight success because yeah. Yeah. you don't hear about someone. You don't hear about someone. You have no idea about them. And then one video goes viral and they're a superstar. And yeah. so you're like, oh, I just need to put my viral video out there. And I'm going to be a superstar. <laughs> and and they don't actually go back and look at the history. Like I remember in my journey, like all of a sudden I was on one of the top stages in the in the country. And I had all these people through social media giving me applause and accolades. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ten year overnight success. Yeah. You know, it's like I've been in the trenches for 10 years already before that happened. But now everyone's like, wow, look what you did. and. So how do you, one, you, you've got to be prepped for that journey, that it is a journey. It is a process. That's not overnight. Um, you mentioned a couple of things. Value is one. How do you know? So, so if they're judging the value, at what point do you, do you, how do you get that feedback without going through like years and years and years of putting yourself out there before you find out? Yeah, so there, there's um, uh, not to be re repetitive here, but there's probably two ways. I, I say this a lot. Maybe there's more than two ways. Um, but the 
the, the the first way to do it is to pay attention to the feedback you're getting. When people are going, oh, this is only this much money. Oh, I can't believe this is so inexpensive. If you're too, if you're priced too low, that's a clear indicator that it's time to to increase your price. Um, now, price is not always the the perfect measure of value. It's just one that people tend to to use because the other part of value is how impactful is your product or service to the people, right? Like price is just sort of the the gateway to unlocking that value. And what uh, some people might mistake, in, and I've definitely done this in business, is mistaking or misjudging what I believed the value was only to find out that it was something significantly more valuable that I didn't comprehend at the time. So when you, when you pay close attention to how your audience is responding and you build a real relationship with your audience, right? There's, there's a funny thing that happens in business. Like, can you imagine going six months without talking to your spouse? Like, of course not. It's not going to work out well, right? Well, the same is true with your customers. If you go that long without talking to your customers and you don't have anything for them and they want something from you because it's a value, you have to be there to show up and, and give it to them. So understanding the, the uh, intrinsic values as well as the explicit values, as well as the, the money values is really important things to pay attention to. And then the, the, the sideline to this is get more perspective, join masterminds and groups of people that have been there, done that, that can help you see that stuff better than what your current skill set allows you to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so putting it out there, listening, listening, listening. Always. And, and is it, you know, the, that whole concept, what's fascinating is that pe when people say, oh, you're undervalued, or they say, oh, this is so inexpensive, I can't believe it. Oftentimes, I, people are afraid to increase because you're like, yeah, but I'm getting the sale now. Mm -hmm. And and the reality is that sometimes when we increase our price, we'll actually create more sales. Yes. What What's going on there? So um, I'll, I'll give you an example of this, right? Um, I have, uh, uh, I don't actually have this. I'm just making this up. Um, I have a, a BMW M5. It's a 2024 model that just came off the showroom floor. I'll give it to you for five grand. Ooh. Right. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't sound right. Right. If I said, I'll give it to you for 155 grand, which is probably 30, 20 to 30,000 over market value, you'd be like, oh, that makes sense if the 2024 models are not out yet. Right. So we, we intuitively understand when something's too good to be true. And we do this uh, um, a lot. I remember uh, I, I've changed the way that I answered this question, right? I, um, uh, I, I, I went on a, uh, I was at one of my masterminds recently uh, and one of my members, uh, we went to an escape room and I paid for everything. And he was like, oh, are you sure? Right? Because there was this like this, oh, but I don't want you to take responsibility for me kind of thing in this, this placement of value. And I said, no, you know what? Being that you asked, it completely changed my perspective and I'd like you to pay for it now. Right? Like that's, that's, we, we, we go through this, that, like that illustration is the same thing that we do when we place money value or price value on something as a business owner. It's, if somebody's like, oh, are you sure it's only $100? Or I can't believe it's only $100. It's the same statement, right? right. So it's, it's like they don't believe that it's actually valuable enough to be value because it was uh, the price that it's at. So when you double or triple your price, suddenly it's like, well, if other people are paying that, it must be worth that kind of thing. And uh, it creates something that that uh, is sometimes the hardest to cultivate, but, but just increasing your price is one of the easiest ways to do it. Yes. Uh, it, it increases perceived value, which increases desire. And increasing desire is one of the core functions of selling anything or marketing anything. We have to build desire. Everybody who's into a hobby knows the most expensive, most interesting thing in that niche 
and they know the price of it and they understand why people buy it and they inherently want it and desire it, they might settle for something less. But if you're into golf and you know that there's a $5,000 golf club, you know about that thing. But when you go look at the $100 golf club, you're like, eh, I'll bet I'll spring for the 300, right? Like you're, you're going to move your needle just because this thing exists. So mm. I don't know if I perfectly answered the question, but I think there's some things to chew on there. Yeah, definitely. And if uh, you're not paying attention, I, I love conversations with Josh and Josh and I have had these conversations for hours offline. Yes. And that is the psychology of what happens from the moment that we engage with someone to what's going on in their brain, how they react and how we then react to their reaction and back and forth. That's the marketing and sales process. And to to understand it. And, and Josh, I'm always amazed at your depth of knowledge in this arena that you really understand and you've torn it apart, put it back together a hundred different ways and how the, how the human brain and the engagement of communication really transfers into movement and influence persuasion uh, and ultimately into a sale. What does this look like when we bring all this online? Well, what do we what do we do in that regard? Because yeah. that's where the transition from oh, it's nice to have conversations, and I get it. You know, maybe I'll I'll ask him for a little bit more, a little bit less, and they do that on an individual basis. Now we're talking about mass marketing. We're talking about talking to thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of people. How do we? What's that transition? What's that look like online now? Yeah, so it's all about one word. And this is going to shock some of you. Um, uh, some of you might push against this. Some of you might think that I'm crazy. Uh, probably more of you will in enjoy this. Uh, it's all about status. And I, and I don't mean that from the social media influencer, I'm I'm big with a bunch of followers kind of social status. I mean, it's about somebody's own perception of their own status in their own worldview. So the question to answer, to be able to, to draw some of this out and kind of have a strategy to go about gaining that attention at mass market is how is what I'm doing increasing somebody's status? So here's a, for instance, if you are watching this right now and Paul and I's conversation taught you something that's truly valuable. We just increased your status in your own worldview because you might be excited to go use that now. Okay. Now, if, if we haven't, then that's okay as well. That's just a matter of, of time and frequency before that kind of thing happens. If you're the right person to be listening to our messaging, right? So that's the other part of it is understanding your messaging and who you're best to connect with and how to best connect with them. And the best lens, that was a lot of bests in a row, but the, the lens that I encourage everybody to look through is how am I increasing somebody's status? And I'll give you the, the simplest formula in social media. Um, and if you play with this, you'll be shocked, right? Um, there's two things that people love more than anything else in the world. Hands down, they love to tell you what they think and tell you why they're right. If you give them the opportunity to do those two things, you instantly increase their status, right? Right. So one of the things that I do on social media all the time is I don't make statements as much as I ask questions. Here, here. Okay, so uh, an example of this, um, I did one yesterday on my social media because I decided that uh, war was the right thing to have on Monday, I suppose. I asked people, uh, why is grammar so important? On a scale of one to 10, how important is it? And all I, had, all I did was give somebody an opportunity to tell me what they think and tell me why they're right. right. I can just let it go from there and engagement will follow. And if I happen to poke back on a counter argument, not, 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 a, not a combative thing, right? Like I sometimes use a little more extreme language. Like I wasn't at war with the grammar people, but like, you, that there, there's an emotion that gets evoked when you start talking to people who are passionate about grammar, right? And um, so th this conversation transpired in a very short amount of time. There's dozens and dozens of comments because I gave people that opportunity. Now you might say that doesn't help me sell my product, 
But in the world of social media, it absolutely does. And, and this is true in the world of SEO as well. It's true in YouTube. Engagement is attention and attention is the most valuable commodity on earth. So I'll tell you how, I, how I'm able to use this a little bit differently. I might ask a question about grammar that has nothing to do with my business. It's just a social conversation. But then if I want to say, hey guys, I'm gonna go live in two hours and I want you to comment down below, you know, I, I talk a lot about AI these days. So like comment down below, hashtag AI, uh, I'll get a whole bunch of hashtags immediately because I've seasoned into the engagement algorithm of these platforms by using just this method, right? Now that I'm seasoned, the people see my message faster and quicker than ever before. So I can throw up a live stream in two hours from now and have dozens of people on without even sending an email or anything else. Now, what happens when they get on a live stream with me and I'm talking about AI, if I have an offer or something to sell or give away, I'm going to get people taking me up on that offer. And it's based on this one thing, increase status and do it by giving people the opportunity to tell you what they think and why they're right. So what should we ask our audience so that they have an opportunity to tell us what they think and to show us that they're right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it depends on exactly what you're doing, right? So there's different phases of a, of a buying cycle and a market. Oh, no, no. I, I meant right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Um, like so now. here, here's a perfect example, right? Uh, I have a bright white background and an orange shirt. Um, I'd love to know, uh, what, what color shirt you think is best when you get on a podcast and present to people. There's a whole psychology around this. And if you had to bet your life on it, what color shirt do you think would be best? Right now, maybe we'll get engagement there. I don't know if it's a perfect question. I, I thought about it for three and a half seconds when you asked it, right? Probably not even that long, but, uh, the, 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 the point there is, is that you give somebody an opportunity to engage in a natural opinion. People have natural opinions about clothing. Style is, is an entire industry, right? Fashion. So people have thoughts and opinions on it. If we can go to something that they're naturally already probably thinking about and have judged in some way, oh, that's a cool orange shirt, or oh, that's pretty generic. I wonder why he's wearing orange with the white background. Like, couldn't he have done something more interesting with the background? There's probably 7,000 thoughts. Look at Paul's nice background. It looks like a brick wall, and it's you know warm, and it, Paul's lit better than, than Josh. And like all of these things are happening somewhere in somebody's mind. So we just ask them to say something about it. It doesn't matter if it's a positive or negative comment. The engagement is all that matters. And that's one of the hardest things for people to actually realize. It's not about your opinion. It's about their opinion. Hmm. Yeah. So, so absolutely comment on Josh's orange shirt because <laughs> I even was looking at his orange shirt going, that's interesting. And uh -huh. then knowing Josh, I started thinking, and literally this was my thought process. Did he actually plan on the orange shirt? Was that by accident? And does he always <laughs> wear orange? Th those were my exact questions that I had when we first got on that were in my head. So <laughs> ju just because you said that, these are my shoes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hold on, no, hold I on, hold on. So you've got either only orange shirts or you've got multiple colors of shoes. So th this, I'm going to say this at the, re at, at the risk of somebody believing something about me that isn't totally true because I, I don't know that I'll be able to fully explain it. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, if you know me in person, you know that I pretty typically only wear like black or gray. I'm not very colorful in in the way that I just dress normally. I'm pretty bland and and non-exciting. Um, the most exciting shirt I probably have is a Ghostbuster shirt, right? So uh, when I wear a shirt like this, it's a pattern interrupt for people that know me. Right. And it's become a thing that I I have trained people, anybody who watches me, if they see me in orange, they're getting the the version of me that is is turned on and in full presentation mode, and they know they're going to get some good stuff out of it, right? It, ho and hopefully that holds true on this call as well. But um, 
I, I even do it sometimes on social media where it's like, I will have, uh, I'll, I'll go live and it'll be an orange shirt. And people will be like, oh, you look so good in color. That pattern interrupt is attention. And guess what that does? That gives somebody the opportunity to tell me what they think and tell me why they're right. And it's, it, I don't even have to say anything at that point. I can just take a photo because somebody knows. So part of this whole psychology thing, and you, you know this, Paul, but for people listening, is understanding the patterns that you're putting out there in your marketing and in your business and knowing when to shift that hard because that hard shift is an intention getter, right? Right. Yeah. And it, it's that fine line. And, and you see people... And there, there's oftentimes, and this is where my thought goes, is there are people that I know that went to get the attention. And we see that with celebrities all the time, with politicians, and they'll go to get the attention and it'll blow up so extreme that that's the end of their career. Like they're, they're out, they're, they're done. And you go, oh, I don't want that, but I want the attention. So I've got to guess the line. Like, how far is far? Where do yeah. I go with that? What what's good attention and what's not? You know the old adage: uh, there is no any, there's no bad press. Yep. And that tends to be what's advised only, but then you do see that people like do take it too far sometimes. Uh, any advice on that regard? Like Jordan Peterson has a quote that I really love, and it's. Um, um, it's something like, I might not get it word for word. Uh, it's something like, uh, in order to influence, you have to risk being offensive. And that, that if you really understand what that means, um, it, it opens up a whole new world to you because risk being offensive is not the same as intentionally being offensive. That means that you have to have a point of view Ooh. and there's no reason for anybody to listen to anybody unless they've got an interesting and unique point of view. And this comes back to the status thing again. How, if you're not unique in any way, how are you going to raise my status? Why am I going to give you my attention, which is the most valuable commodity on earth, if I'm not going to get a boost in status? That's the core human psychology. Like it's why we do everything and you have to risk being offensive in that way because somebody's offense to you is not up to you. Again, it's not you, you're not being offensive. Somebody might be offended and that's a different thing. And that's where you see some people take it too far and what they do that, that is the actual nail in the coffin is they come out and apologize for it. If they don't apologize and they stand in their place, letting people be offended if they want to, they actually increase their status in, in social status goes through the roof. They become legendary in a certain way instead of forgotten. Now we're talking much bigger worldly attention in those kind of things. Right. As it relates to your business, the weight on those uh, particular metrics are a lot less, right? Um, you're, you're, you're just dealing with your audience and your local community. But I think the core point of this is what you do matters and it mostly matters when it's uniquely you and you have to risk that being something that might offend somebody. Otherwise, there's no point in paying attention to you. Here, here. Yeah, you, you've got to stand out. You've got to be different. Uh, the, in my community, the Maverick uh, community, it is all about what, yep. are we, what are we doing different today? to help us stand out and be different and create different results. Uh, in my world, most people want something different tomorrow than they have today. They, yeah. they want either more of the same, which then would be different, or they want things entirely different because they're not receiving what they want at this point in their life. And so it all trans transforms into this understanding of how do I engage in in the world effectively. And in this day and age, that's all online. Yeah. That, that's uh, uh, so much of what we do. I want to touch on, and we've been talking a lot about the psychology and everything that's been, uh, that is this idea of communication. Um, AI, you've been talking a ton <laughs> about AI. It's everywhere these days. Yes. Uh, what's going on with AI? What should we be paying attention to? Uh, 
Yeah. So th this this has the opportunity to to be a, a, a more grounded conversation or a very intense, crazy conversation. Um, we'll probably keep it more grounded uh, for this one. So fair enough. Uh, AI at this point, um, I I'll tell you in in the marketing space and where most business owners are, are most uh, uh, or or anybody with an entrepreneurial mind are looking at it. They're mostly looking at it around. Uh, uh, easy content production. And I'm going to give you kind of, you know, I just talked about unique points of view and, and being different. And I definitely have a unique point of view on this because uh, I don't see AI the same as the masses see it. And it's because I've, I've really thought through some implications. And I think I've, I've made some interesting observations that uh, the, the rest of, of, you know, the, the bigger community will catch up to because it'll just be the natural evolution of it. But um, right now, the core fundamental problem in the thinking is that AI solves a content problem. Right. We never had a content problem. We could always get it. We could always make it. There wasn't a problem there. So what AI actually solved was a content scale problem, right? We were able to collapse time on content. We were able to do more in less time. That's valuable, but it's not the same thing. And, and I'll give you maybe a different illustration on this. This might feel disjointed for a second, but I'll, I'll make sure and tie it back together. If we apply the laws of supply and demand to content right now, this is the first time in human history that the supply of content through AI is greater than the demand for content through uh, humans producing it. Right. Um, that's really crazy to think about if if you like wrap your head around what that means. Ultimately, what it means is the cost of content has to go to the floor. So sometimes we mistake that to say the value of content is now much less, but there's a, a dissection here. And the dissection is the what's the value of, of uh, producing and deploying content versus purchasing content. Those are two different things right? The creation of content is not the same as putting it out there for people to consume. The creation cost has gone down. The value of giving it to people to consume is higher than it's ever been because of that word attention, right? So uh, AI allows us to, to solve that problem in a much bigger way. Now, some people go, well, Josh, that's kind of what I thought anyways about the content thing. But it's not how people are actually using it. And that's what the, the, the difference here is because what AI does in my opinion uh, is only three things. It does research, organization, and formatting. Okay, where people get lost on this is they do research and organization and they don't yet understand its power to format. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. In my industry, I help agency owners uh, build their agencies with, you know, learning more about search engine optimization and digital marketing, right? So I talk a lot about this with my students. And um, one of the things that people are doing right now is there's a million tools out there that do a million cool things. And they're all awesome. I've got no, like, no stones to throw at anything, except that what's happening is AI has this like magic trick that it's doing where people go, well, because it can do it, we should use it. And if you've ever tried to write a blog post that's really good with ChatGPT and you're a writer, you know that you could have just wrote it faster yourself and it would have all the points connected that you wanted to have before you got through your sequence of prompts and, and twisting just to make AI do it. We sometimes forget, and this is the magic trick of it, we forget that us as humans have a lot of value in this game, right? Like we still do things that the computer never will. Um, so th there's that on one scale of it. And this is where it comes back to this, this research organization and formatting for me, because the next thing that people do that is actually costing them more time than saving them is they're going in and out of these different tools to accomplish these different tasks. If you understand what AI is actually capable of, you can get away with using one or two tools and you can ask one of those to do proper formatting to move into the next, which causes a situation where you can one click move into another tool. I'll give you an example. 
uh, I do, uh, I teach about generating videos with AI. And what I have is chat GPT will actually research for me this, the, what I want in the script, write the script, which is organizing that research, but then format that into the format that I can copy and paste into my video editing tool. So it's perfectly aligned to just seamlessly go there. What have, what, what, a lot of people are doing right now is they're taking AI and they're shortcutting the, the research and the organization process and they go, great. And they spend this time to format into the next tool to get it and, and do these different things. Right. Um, that streamlining is what I think people are missing right now. And it might seem like a subtle thing, but I'll tell you, if you spent any time playing with AI, you know that it can eat a lot of time, especially yeah, if you're not really like well tuned to it under understanding what it's doing. Um, this th this contemplation on research organization and formatting is, in my opinion, the most vital thing to understand about AI, particularly chat GPT or large language models um, and how that works. So that might have been really like wordy, but I don't know how to explain this stuff any other way. I talk a lot, you guys. Yeah, the understanding of of how to go from point A to point B, but and and what it can really do for you and what it doesn't do for you. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a lot of people that, oh, well, it can be your assistant. I was like, well, I, A, I have an assistant. And, yeah. and, and B, it's that the amount of time that it takes me to, to teach and to tell AI to go put an appointment in my, in my appointment scheduler is the same amount of time it would take me to just put an appointment in my appointment yes. scheduler. And, yes. and so there's, it, and I, and I keep looking at it and I will tell you, and I'm sure all of you are very similar in this way. I keep looking at going, is it, am I crazy? Like what are the, why? And, you know, putting together these avatars and putting together all this component. And it seems like a lot of work. And like you said, Josh, just because it can do it doesn't mean it's the best thing for us to engage it with. Yes. And that's really important. There, there, to, to sort of liken this to money, because socially we have a, a pretty big obsession with money, especially here in America, uh, we tend to think that money solves all problems, right? But it doesn't. It only solves the problems that money's good at solving. And AI is the same thing, but what a lot of people are doing is attributing AI's ability to solve problems that it's actually just not the best thing to solve. But if you can double down into what it is the best thing, right. it will open up a whole new world for you. I mean, it's very exciting. Uh, I hope I didn't leave any impression that it's anything less than that. It's just properly categorize it and understand the implications of what you're using. Uh, that that further empowers you uh, on the journey. Yeah, and because it, when you understand the research and the and the the creation and then the formatting components, and you get down to the core of it, um, once we're there and we're in that transition period and we may already be on the other side and things are moving really quickly, it, it, my vision is it doesn't give you a benefit. Matter of fact, at this point, if you're not using AI, uh, in an efficient manner in creating all that, you're behind the eight ball. And yeah. so where people initially 10 months ago, let's say a year ago, it was like, oh, now you're cutting edge and you've got an advantage over the competition. Now it's, if you're not using it, you're, you're not even in the game. Yeah, yes and, and no. And here's why I'll say no, but 90% but what you said, yes. The only caveat I have to it is the thing is... Uh, I'll try not to be too wordy on this and give you context, but a number of years ago, um, there was a legislation uh, on on deck in Germany that would have eliminated all online tracking in Germany, including Google Analytics and right. everything. And I went, what would a marketer do without that today in the digital world? Right. You know, no Facebook pixels. And, and if you guys don't know what that is, it's fine. It's just the way that marketers gather data to make decisions, right? The so I I thought about it. And the only conclusion I had was the the person who's better at connecting with their audience through the most common medium to connect video is going to win no matter what else is involved or no matter what else is taken away. 
So my only caveat is, is if you are good and you know how to communicate about it, you will sail past the threshold that other people are placing on AI right now. It doesn't mean that AI is not valuable and can't help you in those ways, but a really good communicator that's truly in line with their product and understanding and the service they provide and the way they create value will just win regardless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed, agreed, and and agree. So, yeah, it's uh, you can still win the game, only you've got to got to understand the tools. Mm -hmm. so what are some of the things that they so we've kind of talked about more of what they shouldn't be doing or versus how should they utilize AI at this point? What should absolutely be yeah. part of their matrix? Yeah. So th this is something I've been spending a lot of time on to help. Uh, small business owners particularly wrap their head around this. Like, you know, a lot of people didn't get into business to learn, you know, the, the new tech trends and figure out how to manipulate all these things, right? Um, so the, the biggest thing that you want to do if you're going to have AI help you produce good, reasonable content is you have to give it an a window to operate within. So if you can imagine something like ChatGPT was trained on the the quote unquote entirety of the internet, uh, it's now up and up until April of this year, um, uh, based on their recent release. So I think it's April. Um, so you've got all this information here, but what you actually have is the average of human collective consciousness that's been published online. So if you get the average, that means that any normal input or prompt into ChatGPT is going to give you average results. And I don't mean that in a negative context, like I'm saying it's just average. It just it literally, in this case, is mathematically average, average. right? Uh, so what we want to do is give it a window to operate through where it it's not looking at the average. It's looking at an uh, exceptional context for the particular thing that we're doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, I recently talked to a number of uh, a group full of of handymen that that are part of a franchise here in Michigan, and um, what we did is we created for them a a writing avatar. And what this looks like is asking ChatGPT to do the research on you know what are certifications that handyman would have, what are publications they would read, what is the education they would have, what kind of associations are out there, get as much context around the topic as possible, and then ask ChatGPT to write a, a persona, a writer's persona based on that. And what that's gonna do is create a whole bunch of context around your specific niche and your specific business, because you can add elements from your specific business in there as well. You can put in there, uh, you know, this person writes about and sells products like insert your product and describe what it is. Uh, you could put user reviews in there. You could put all sorts of things to build context. And what you're doing is you're framing a window for the intelligence of AI to operate within. Now, when you ask for an email or you ask for a blog post or a social media post, it's informed. And that's the difference between asking any random person for an answer versus the actual AI representation of the expert in your niche. So is that about feeding it information or about just asking, uh, having multi-layered questions? Um, both in a certain way. Um, so for instance, we, we, we have multi-layered questions to get some initial context on, on things, to pull that information out of the average, if you will, to build context for the next thing that we ask ChatGPT to do. Um, the, the, the big thing to understand with something like a large language model is that it's operating solely on context, okay? So th this is where you have to be a little bit more ninja in your thinking, and this is where having, you know, if there is such a thing as an AI expert at this point, like it's, it's pretty emerging, so I don't know if there's an expert, but this is where it's helpful to have somebody that understands it a little bit better look at it. Um, context, the way that AI operates, is really important to understand. So if I asked you, Paul, right now to just be funny, right? You're, you're going to look at me blankly like what? There's no context there, right? Right. Now, if I said, be funny like Chris Rock, you, you, 
you still might not do it, but now you have some kind of frame. Right. Right. If I said, be funny like Chris Rock and talk about um, uh, you know, divorce, like he had a big divorce, right? Now you're like, oh, okay. You might remember a joke and you've got content. Well, ChatGPT is the same way. We can't just ask it to be funny. Right. So the context you give it, give it, the context that you provide it really matters. So you might do this whole writer's persona that ChatGPT gives you and then look at it and go, well, but as a handyman, we also do fences and drywall and, and flooring and all of these other things. And you right. add that extra context in there. So now when you ask it to write something, it has that to pull through. Yeah, it's interesting. And and it for me, my experience, whenever I'm pulling out information and content and engaging with ChatGPT, um, it is about that layering of engagement. It's mm -hmm. not about the initial prompt. It's usually the third or fourth or fifth re reiteration of that gets me the fine-tuned answer. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and that's something that, that takes the time and effort for people to dive into, only well worth it and keeping that thread of communication going to say, okay, rework this with X in addition to what I already layered onto it, redo it now with, you know, in the, in a, in a lighthearted style with heartfelt towards uh, love of children yep. and, and you start getting a, a bigger frame. I've done uh several different bios in crafting my my bio and other people's bios um for instance in you know, oh here's their information here's their core information create a bio the first bio is very stale it's very dry it just delivers then you start saying all right give me add humor to it with a sarcastic tone like ryan reynolds and you start giving it that that fine tune of a context and a box to really dive into. And that's where you start getting the, the really great um, engagement uh, with it and some great content. Yeah. One, one thing I should mention about this is once you create that persona and all of those layers you just talked <laughs> about, what we teach people to do is start a new chat, put that in and just ask ChatGPT to read it and do nothing else. Just reply that it's red. Then do all of your other normal prompting. And what this allows people to do is just say, write me an email about, we've already provided all this other context so they don't have to change their behavior and their thinking once they have this piece. You just have to do this one step first, then go through your normal sort of average prompts, but they'll be informed with something that's above average for your particular niche. Very good. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, amazing. Great hack, uh, to say the least. And it's ongoing. I find that we're talking about this in my communities every day. Um, AI is so embedded in everything that we're doing now that it's an everyday conversation. Um, what should we, and, and it was one of the things I was asking before that we, that we went off track, which we'll do is, what is it that I should be and all entrepreneurs, business owners should be doing every day in engaging of, and what should we be looking for maybe in the future, engaging in AI on our day-to-day -day basis on what we're doing with our business? Yeah, I, I think it's a really great question. Um, and I think it comes back to a more utilitarian response. Um, the, the reason that I kind of went through that illustration is, in my opinion, that's what you should be doing on a daily basis with it. If you need to write a re reply to a review, you can paste that initial context in, paste the review in and say, write a, a, a review or write a reply to this that addresses all the points that, that were made. And you'll get this really well-written response to the review that you got online. Um, if you're going to do social media posts about... Uh, a, a sale that's happening in the fall or around Thanksgiving or pick your holiday, you can go, Hey, I need a, a carousel post for Instagram with five slides uh, promoting my, you know, my, my cool cat juggling widget. Um, and uh, it's going to be 10% off for Thanksgiving, right? Like now it'll go boom and, and give you this stuff. So I think the, the daily practice there is to, 
leverage what we talked about with the supply and demand, uh, being that the deployment of content is more valuable than ever, but the cost of doing it, both time and money, is lower than ever. So if you if you were hesitant to invest the time before, now is the time to invest the time because you're going to get 10 times the output if you if you just start moving on it, right? Get that stuff out there on social media. Get it out there for people to engage with, but layer it with this other engaging content we talked about. Give people that opportunity to tell you what they think and why they're right and uh, uh, figure out what questions make the most sense to do that with, right? Like since I'm doing a lot with AI, I'll ask people like, if AI could only solve one problem in your life, what would it be? Well, I'll tell you what I think. And here's why I think it, right? Like that's that's what's gonna happen most naturally. And it's, it doesn't have to be a punchy, like controversial question like grammar, right? Right, there you go. So punchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah just over the top. <laughs> uh, you know, with, with one of the things that you do is you build up agencies, you build up companies. Um, what are some of the go-tos that someone engages with you that you do for them is, all right, here's, here's almost 90% of our clientele. Here's what they need and what I bring to the table. So this is going to sound strange um, because even successful businesses uh, uh, are, are not always seeing this clearly. Uh, the first thing that, that I think is important is for us to understand what we're actually selling. And that, that, that sounds like it, it's not like, like, Josh, I'm selling soap online on my e-commerce store that we make in the garage. What do you mean, what am I selling, right? right? Like everybody thinks they know their product and they do, but in figuring out what you're actually selling, you understand more of that value proposition we were talking about earlier. Right. So I'll give you an example of this. If I'm selling digital marketing services, I'm not selling traffic to, to a business. I'm not even selling leads to a business. I'm not even selling money at a discount to a business. What I'm actually selling is the ability for that business owner and those employees to live at a higher level and, and engage in the desires that they care about most because they now have more resources to be able to accomplish that. Hmm. What does that actually look like? Maybe the business owner is looking towards an exit right? They're, they're building the company to sell at one point. If I'm selling my services, I'm actually leaning into that value, not the surface level of just, oh, you get traffic from Google now. I mean, that's awesome. It's very valuable and financially worth it. Um, but there's, there's more value in it. So if I know that that's what I'm selling, I sell it totally differently. Hey, if I can, if I can add a multiple to your evaluation, you want to buy my Google services? Well, what, how does that work? Well, if I just change you from, you know, here, here's an example that I heard recently that was great. Uh, um, one of the big uh, digital marketing educator companies changed their category of business from an education business to a tech education business. Went from a 3X multiple to an 11X just because they were in a different category in space right? Like, like that industry tech ed was blowing up. Education was still just flat. Right. Um, so like if I can pour all sorts of leads into your business and create this because your real goal is to sell at the end of the day, how much am I actually worth then? Right. Right. So <laughs> figuring out what you're actually selling, I think is the biggest, most important step. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to actually work out, right? If, if you're selling something like a coaching, it's almost customized uh, in a certain sense. I mean, you can have standardized packages and whatnot, but what it means to each person, uh, that's going to take you a little bit of time to sort out what you're actually selling that way. Um, if it's a, a product like a tape measure, it's a little bit clearer, right? Like I'm, I'm selling you the ability to be precise in your construction activities and what's the value of being precise is having a, a, a sound structure, right? The value of a sound structure is a great living environment and, you know, so on and so forth. The benefit of the benefit of the benefit is where we, we go with that. Yeah, the, the, the core understanding, and, and I've had these conversations similarly, 
from the angle of, you know, what are you selling? What's your real product? And not just what the <laughs> deliverable is, but what's the un unmentioned impact. benefit yeah. and impact into their world. And it's one of the things that isn't just a, oh, well, they're new and so they don't know. It's what some of the major corporations, I've been in business now for almost 40 years. I've watched the test of time. Yeah. Um, to uh, Blockbuster, that was a real clear understanding of not knowing what they were selling. And it's yes. why they're out of business is that they thought they were in the VHS or CD delivery business versus entertainment. Yes. And, and so then companies like Netflix, they could have been the Netflix easily overnight. Easily. They didn't know they were in the entertainment business. They thought they were delivering VHS cassette tapes. Yeah. And, and a huge component of really digging deep and, and never think that you're beyond this conversation because yeah. it'll change. And so having this conversation all the time, if there's one thing I will tell you out of, out of this whole conversation that Josh and I have had, man, that's it. Go back to your team. Go and and grab hold of of conversation with Josh. Get some engagement with him and have this conversation to say, "All right, I've been in business for a while. What am I selling?" And create that that moment in time to really analyze it because it is uh, it can be a real game changer, or it can be the one thing that is your is your Achilles heel in your business. Yeah, it's it, very similar to what we talked about with framing the AI. The question you ask about your business and what the what what you're really selling frames your business. Yeah. And that that one distinction, that blockbuster example, was perfect. Um, yeah, it, it it it's the most important piece in in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. The, so many so many times, and we've seen big powerhouse players miss the boat because they forgot mm -hmm. or, or the, the landscape had changed on them and they, they forgot to continually go back to that question. What are we selling? It's, it's, it's literally why I brought up the distinction on content creation versus content scale and deployment, right? Because it matters. Like it, 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 it may not feel like it because it's all content, Trust me, that distinction really matters when you're looking at how you're going to deploy tools into your business like AI. So it's it's the same concept. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Josh, what a pleasure to have you here. Uh, really, uh, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. I want to be respectful of your time and, and the time of everybody that's here. Uh, how can people reach out to you? They want to grab hold and, and uh, have some more time with you. Where should they go? Yeah. So uh, if, if you're okay with it, I'll give everybody a gift. This is something that I put together. That's a little piece of technology um, that works on a Chrome browser. And I call it my one-click market research tool. Uh, if you want to know all the questions that people are asking about your product or service, um, this tool is going to help you do it. You put in a couple of keywords and hit go, and it will go find all the questions people are asking on Google and give you a list of those questions so you can be better informed at what the conversation is out there, how to structure your marketing and do all of those things. Uh, so that's something that you can get for free. There's no, no charge of any sort at contentconcussion.com. So that's uh, uh, the AI company that I started earlier this year. It's called Content Concussion. And this is our first freebie offer. There's no real AI involved in this, but this tool will help inform what you do with your AI uh, going forward. Sounds awesome. And again, the uh, URL is? Contentconcussion.com. Beautiful. Contentconcussion.com. We will have that in the description in the where podcast is advertised okay. all over the place. So we'll have that down there so that people can click on it easily. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I know I'm going to engage in that as well as everybody else should. And um, with all this conversation, it's ongoing. We're in such a, a time now of which is so exciting of constantly changing the, the matrix of 
how we engage as humans and as, as business owners. And so for all of you out there, stay tuned, keep engaging in conversations like this, continually being on the cutting edge because we are constantly moving ourselves. And I know uh, I am and Josh is uh, constantly changing platforms. So keep connected. Thank you so much, Josh. Absolute pleasure for you having you time here, talking to you, spending time. Thank you. I appreciate being here. And, and likewise, I always enjoy our conversations. Here, here. For all of you out there, this is Paul Fink. This is Maverick's Do It Different podcast. Continue to share, continue to like, continue to subscribe. Let's continue to get the message out there because we do it different here every step of the way to create a different world for us all. Thank you so much. It's been a pure pleasure. Take care now. Thanks for being here today. As we close out this episode, which inspired you to be even more of a maverick, be sure to leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. As our gift to you, be sure to go to themaverickuniverse.com where you can download your free copy of the Maverick Manifesto. Until next time, dare to be different. Dare to be a maverick.